Fuckers. Welcome to No Prize from God, episode 39. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey, and my guest this episode is Haila Ravena Hunt Hendricks of the band Liturgy. As you will hear her point out in this episode, the band is called Liturgy. The point of the performances is to be a mass. Liturgy is a structured form of collective worship, and that's the intention. When the band plays music, she reads it as a holy experience. In an enthusiastic, positive review of Liturgy's wildly ambitious 80-minute opus, 93696, Pitchfork wrote that over a decade, Hunt Hendricks has cloaked her shape-shifting metal band Liturgy in a dense matrix of symbology. Diving into her Substack and YouTube channel, where she connects dots between Marxist thought, the Upanishads, Thomas Aquinas, and Aleister Crowley, can be as enlightening as it is mystifying. For all of Hunt Hendricks's theorizing, though, the music has always been thrillingly physical. It's one thing to read about her concept of the, quote, burst beat, and how her rapid-fire rhythms are intended to induce a state of awakening and transformation. It's another thing to simply feel it. Hunt Hendricks's music reaches toward utopian catharsis, reshaping the craven and nihilistic timbers of black metal into blissful, glowing pillars of sound. In her manifesto, she's described a desire to create music that pushes listeners toward self-discovery and actualization. End quote. She is an unapologetic Christian, making music that is at once extreme metal, classical, operatic, symphonic, without being you know, quote, symphonic metal, epic, intimate, broad, sprawling, with a punk and indie bent that certain metal purists might bristle against, and a mystical interpretation of everything from orthodox Christianity to communing with spirits that's likely to upset some among the faithful. This was a fascinating conversation, and hopefully the first of many, and there is a wealth of material to dive into out there to explore this monolith of theology and sound that this incredible artist has been building over a series of records and performances. Remember, the best way you can support No Prize from God is to go into Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform and leave a five-star rating, write a nice little review. You can keep up with everything No Prize from God at noprizefromgod.com. Keep up with me at ryanjdowney.com and all of the podcasts in the PopCurse network at popcurse.com. Here it is, my conversation with Hyla Ravena Hunt Hendricks of Liturgy. This is No Prize from God. Welcome to No Prize from God, first of all. Really, the podcast is, you know, much like when you start a band or you make a film or write a book or something, they say, make the thing you wish existed. And the idea for this was really because I was looking for a podcast like it, 
Uh, so really, the idea is any kind of creative people who have had any sort of interesting experience and engagement with life's big questions. That's really the, that's the only rule, if there's a rule. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree that like, it's, yeah, you know, the, the big questions are, uh, they're, they're you know, important, like by definition. Um, and it's kind of hard to find outlets where, I don't know, where like you can kind of talk about them without it being corrupted in some way by like some kind of angle. Yes. Um, yeah. There's always the angle. There's, there's the agenda. There's, and something that I've politely avoided so far, not to say that I won't get tricked into it at some point, but I've really avoided uh, bringing people on who are spokespersons for a particular thing. Which isn't to say that I don't have adherence of different faith systems and traditions, because I find that interesting as well. But but anytime someone would want to come on and just kind of present the talking points of like, this is what this thing is. Uh, that's I, I don't know. That's just kind of boring. I could read a pamphlet if I want to know what. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you want to you want to have authentic conversations about people's experience. Yeah. Uh, so let's go all the way back, if you'll indulge me. What was your early experiences with any kind of framework or upbringing or knowledge of different faith traditions and, and different ideas about all of this stuff? And and where did that also, as a second part of that question, start to intermingle with music and you started to understand the experiential importance of sound and how that connects to this stuff? Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a kind of a nice pairing of questions. Um, my my faith upbringing was kind of fractured because I was raised mostly in New York City in a context that was, uh, you know, hyper secular kind of the type of context where you just wouldn't take seriously, um, you know that the God exists or in, in, in anything like that, really. Um, but there's a lot of uh, sort of Southern evangelical Christianity in my family's background. And I had access to some of that, uh, like different kinds of like my, like my evangelical Protestantism that was right wing. And then also kind of um, more so progressive Protestantism that was uh, sort of, like my family would go to church sometimes in New York, uh, and um, uh, but as a little kid, I was very like I was kind of a natural mystic as a kid. Like I really, I really took to Christianity. I mean, I'm I'm a practicing Christian, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. though though my my version of Christianity is pretty pretty Nietzschean. You know, it's like a kind of art artistic Christianity, but, but it's authentic you know, Christianity or it's, I, I mean it when I say that, you know, it's not a quotation marks. Um, and, um, so, you know, you mentioned how did music figure into it? And I would say that I also, even earlier, uh, felt a connection to music that was basically religious too you know like when when i like M mtv was kind of like on top of its on the top of its game when i was like a little child like five or six years old um and i as soon as i discovered like grunge um or like alt rock or whatever on, on mtv and like playing guitar like that kind of became the meaning of my life really quickly um and you know there's like that's not a you know, rock music is kind of a faith tradition uh, in itself. Uh, so in a way, you know, I think that, uh, you know, like music has been my religion. Uh, but yeah, so any, so anyway, I, I encountered Christianity at a pretty young age and felt, felt ambivalence towards it because I also found it oppressive 
but I was also, I guess, maybe kind of far away, far away from it enough that it wasn't, it wasn't like, a, you know, like, like Catholic, like Catholic school kids, like they never become Catholics because it's like it ruins their life or whatever. Like I didn't have enough Christianity for it to like ruin my life. And so, so, so. Um, and then, and then when I was, and then I got into Buddhism and meditation, like in my teens or like, uh, I mean, and there was philosophy. So, cause I was, I was very passionate about reading philosophy at a very young age as well. And, you know, and that's, that, that's another, you know, a lot of philosophy is quite, quite mystical or is, you know, about, about God, but it's sort of a different God. It's the God of the philosophers. Um, and uh but yeah it was i had a fairly anguished like early childhood you know like i was i was just i was a very uncomfortable kid and so these 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 questions were on my mind in a very fervent way uh which i'm not sure is true of everyone mm. um it isn't it it is it is pretty unique um in a certain sense and, and can be isolating because I had a very similar childhood in that I was uh, kind of loosely, you know, my mom was a born again Christian, as they would say, and a Presbyterian. So, you know, for seventies and eighties in Indiana, being a Presbyterian was pretty progressive uh, <laughs> relative to, you know, other types of, of Christianity. And my dad is uh, what he refers to as a recovering Catholic one of those folks that, you know, comes from a large Irish Catholic family, a lot of siblings. Uh, but for me, I had the same experience that you're describing of, of being just uncomfortable and really struggling with this stuff much earlier than what I perceived my peers to be doing. I remember having a conversation with my stepmom once. <laughs> it's one of those like weird flashes of, of like vivid memories where I said, you know, kids in my class are worried about when the new Michael Jackson album's coming out. I'm worried about what happens when we die. And my yeah. stepmom very dismissively saying, I wish you were worried <laughs> about the Michael Jackson album, <laughs> you know, and it's, I, I, I can sort of reductively pinpoint it to, you know, my mom passed away when I was 11. And I, I think you can, you know, in the narrative arc of my life, you can look at that and say, well, of course you were questioning life and death and what does it all mean uh, with such a significant uh, earth moving loss and pain. But I really feel like yeah, some good. of these senses that, you know, that you describe as uh, mysticism, maybe th that was kind of with me before that. And maybe that brought it out a little more, but I, I can always kind of remember having this idea that there's more than what we see and that part of it's only now as a as a well into adulthood that i'm starting to see more of that idea of, of life as a thing to be experienced versus a problem to solve i think that's a kierkegaard quote that i'm butchering but uh you know that took me a long time and i'm still struggling to be there but i but i spent so much of my teens and 20s really trying to like figure out definitive answers for everything and constantly being frustrated by not quite getting there. I mean, um, yeah, that's interesting to hear your, your kind of parallel story. I think for me also in terms of like problems, I mean, I know I, I had a gender problem as a kid, you know, so, so I'm trans and uh, I'm in my thirties and, and this, so this was in like the 1990s and I, I see now you know, I, I transitioned a couple of years ago um, and that, but I was sent to like an all boys school when I was a little kid. And the, there was a really, really acute social alienation, I think that went with that. And I was like, I'm a pretty effeminate person. Like, like I've always kind of been, you know, I was like, you know, quote unquote, mistaken for a girl, like all, you know, all the time as a kid, or really through my twenties even. And like that, <laughs> like my, my passion for philosophical, like questioning kind of went down a little bit after transitioning actually be like, like, because there was something 
and, and I think it's kind of whatever it is, like, oh, really, really high degrees of alienation, I think, kind of just force those questions onto you. Although not necessarily, because I think sometimes they just force you. I don't know. You, you, can, you can react to it in, in all the different kinds of ways. But I, I can see now very easily that that was a big part of it as well. And like at the time, there wasn't even a language for that stuff. You know, like like it, 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 there was no uh, there was no realistic you know, avenue towards, you know, sensing that you're a woman and then uh, declaring that you have the right to, uh, to, to be a woman without like you're just like being destroyed, you know? So uh, yeah, I, I kind of envy younger people today or at least until very, very recently because now it's getting so, so horrible. But, uh, you know, for, for the six or seven years where, uh, where there, there was kind of progress in that direction and i assume there still will be but anyway another thought on yeah that i feel like we, it's one step forward two steps back with with social change with a lot of issues and Ho hopefully two steps forward one step back but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly optimist that's the optimistic view for sure and I, and i think you know what do they say the arc of history bends toward justice i think it, i think that is largely true i hope it's true yeah so kind of what you're describing is almost you know it makes sense that you would feel kind of unsettled and then once you felt settled in such a major part of your life and identity that that would bring about kind of a, a big wave lifting all ships where all of your kind of questions and and yearning i, I mean kind of i mean settled. there's still a lot yeah i mean i still experience a lot of yearning but i definitely started reading fewer books that's for sure <laughs> And, and that, that actually brings up my next question, which, uh, you know, you mentioned discovering Buddhism in your teens and getting into meditation and things like that. Like, what were your guides and, and where were your sources as far as like, were you going to bookstores a lot? Were you online a lot? Or did you have teachers, people? Not, I don't mean teachers like at school, but just teachers in general, like people in your life that had things to impart. Yeah, good question. Um, I think I had a, my, I have a, a much older brother or half brother technically, who was a transcendental meditation practitioner, and oh, he wow. he so he introduced me to TM. Actually, that was my I think first contact with like the kind of Sinovedic complex of religious stuff or whatever. That that, that that's not Buddhism, but and uh, yeah, and then I like like I took a yoga class in college. I had like a like a PE credit I had to fulfill, and I sort of was wanting to do the most slacker thing possible <laughs> yeah. uh, so i chose yoga <laughs> and so it was, it was just like in my college credit i i, I went to not, not a lot of colleges don't have p requirements but mine did and and then i was really really amazed at how yoga made me feel yeah i don't know i didn't really have a lot of personal guidance on religious or philosophical uh, themes as a kid. It, it was pretty isolated. I think I, you know, I got sober uh, like in my like mid twenties. And so I, I know I've done like 12 step work and stuff and I've, I've had some guides, I think. In, I'm, I'm an Al-Anon kid. So well, uh, nice well-versed in the 12-step recovery and, and a big believer in it and it's yeah working yeah yeah i mean it's really uh yeah 12-step stuff it's like um, it's kind of like the contemporary religious horizon in in a way uh though that's a, kind of a seemingly counterintuitive way of describing it but i think there's something there's something about the way that it sort of introduces you to the option of theism without forcing anything on that I think just kind of makes a lot of sense in our time. That's just because it's so multicultural and there's uh, just so much baggage that goes along with any particular identification with one religious tradition or another. Um, so it really kind of distills something, some, some, something essential about God and 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 the practice of all well, the well, just the practice of, of having having a spiritual practice. 
the, the, the there's just kind of solipsistic or whatever. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, I attend church regularly and, and, and I do lots and lots of yoga too. So, so like those, you know, more sort of fully, fully, uh, all in religious structures are, uh, as important or more important or something like that to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, guides, um, yeah, not really. Yeah. I didn't, the, the, growing up, I didn't really have, uh, you had probably guides who were either, either dead or strangers, right? That you're guiding you via their writing. Yeah, I felt a lot of companionship with, uh, with the full, with the philosophers, the, with the dead philosophers who were writing the books I was reading for sure. You know, I mean, I, I felt like I was friends, you know, with Nietzsche and Kierkegaard and Deleuze and Spinoza, and you know, like there, there's a whole. It, it's it's kind of a it's kind of cope, you know. It's kind of this like arrogant cope. Uh, I think I think Nietzsche has some line about like philosophers. What is it like that? They're all standing on these like mountaintops or whatever, and so 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 few people can like make it up to these like mountaintops that they have to like communicate with one another through the you know across generations after their death. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm here on I'm all I'm so isolated on my mountaintop, and Spinoza was over there on his, but we understand each other and. Um, <laughs> um which is kind of silly but uh but but not entirely i mean because i do i'm also not sure that it's impossible to be in communication with uh the dead and so 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 i do in some ways like i even sort of had a pantheon of like my my heroes that I would like, I would like make collages of them and sort of meditate uh, on sort of experiences of like hanging out with them, you know, in the astral plane or something, you know, just like, like Joseph Boyce and Carl Jung and Simone Weil and Hildegard of Bingen and, you know, Genesis Peorage and Billy Corgan or I, I don't know, just like, you know, I had these different heroes. Billy Corgan's not dead, actually. Um, although, <laughs> And it, it it can kind of feel, you know, maybe it's just your unconscious, you know, but you, you, it, it can feel like you are, uh, I mean, you can have conversations with people in your, in your head and they actually kind of talk to, and yeah. um, maybe, maybe you're just in, in inspirations from your own heart are just reaching you through. They're getting past them like sensor or whatever. Um, or, or maybe the dead are communicating with the living. I, I don't see any reason to not to, to rule that out. Yeah, I'd like to say to anyone driving in their car right now, listening, raising their eyebrow, going, uh, you can't talk to dead people, uh, to to ask themselves if they've ever said or heard, you know, the idea that, oh, that, that person's not really gone, they're still with us. I mean, that's essentially what you're saying is just a little bit more of a intentional and almost tangible version of that really and i feel like mm -hmm. i feel like most people believe at least that much that there's some sense of lost loved ones and and that sort of thing around so yeah why couldn't there be the possibility that there's some kind of communing especially when we're both people who experience a lot of our feelings and thoughts through art especially that these people can communicate with us through the art that they've left behind yes it's very possible yeah Mm -hmm. um you know and also like we are i mean there's a whole other way of conceiving of this which is maybe more nietzschean more materialist which is that like my consciousness my my sense of self-awareness is a very small part of what i am and who i am so you know i think that you know, like reading Nietzsche really fervently or whatever, you know, or listening to, you know, Converge really fervently or Brahms or whatever, you know, there's something in those works, there is uh, an, an intensity, a kind of meaning that is non-discursive and it is not the person's personality. And, and, it, and it's sort of, you know, when I really love a work of art or a book or whatever, I can feel the way that it influences 
the part of me that is not my personality too, you know, and then it, and then it, and then it expresses itself through me, through things that I make, you know, and, and so, so, so there's, there's that line of communication with the dead for, for, you know, which is very, very literal where it's just kind of like, you know, some, some inspired being is pursuing a project and they only get so far mm. and then they, you know, connect with you and you, you, you've without being able to really express it what it is without it being able to explain it you just kind of know that you're connected and then it kind of like bakes within you and um and that's and, and that's very soothing that, that that's a there's a real sense of companionship there and then and you kind of know that like what you're making is part of lineage and that's you know i and my my i have a concept for that the, the arc artwork uh, you know uh which is uh, yeah, I don't know. Something I think about a lot. It also makes me think about how oftentimes exactly what you're explaining and how it, it's hard to articulate the way that you feel that connection. I, I've given up on being conflicted about connecting with art made by flawed people. <laughs> and that that's something that, you know, is a very kind of modern cultural battle happening with this sort of Puritan idea that we only want to consume art from people who share all of our values and uh, gosh, what a, what a waste of <laughs> so much art, particularly things made prior to this current moment, you know, uh, that were limited even by yeah. natural experience and, and whatever that came before. I just can't. And, and I've been through it as well. I sympathize with that impulse to, you know, never watch a Roman Polanski movie or, or whatever, you know, all the way down the list. But I've, I have happily arrived at a place in my life now where I'm, where I'm just like, I, I'm, if it, if it moves me, it moves me. I, I, I can, I can certainly choose where I spend my dollar, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm not really interested in anything that's like designed purely as a platform for some unsavory ideology. I believe in its right to exist but as far as consuming things from like, you know, oh, it turned out this person involved in this painting or whatever, you know, murdered someone <laughs> or whatever. Right. Like I just I've really kind of let go of that. And I think that that's uh, for better or worse, an important part of, of really, truly connecting and experiencing. Yeah, I'm, I mean, so much of the <laughs> the culture that has most inspired me, I think, was either also you know a huge inspiration to nazis or like right. was inspired by nazis you know i mean like i i uh because i you know on the one hand there's like nietzsche and wagner and then on the other hand there's black metal you know and and uh so i mean, i don't know what to do about that but uh um i i think that in in, in all those cases i mean yeah i mean nietzsche and wagner were both very flawed um and they were also misunderstood they, I think what they consciously, I mean, I guess Wagner was an anti-Semite for, for sure. Um, I don't know that, I mean, I mean, Nietzsche Lovecraft, and Nietzsche really hated women, I think, you know, um, but he was not an anti-Semite as far as I know, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, things, I mean, things get co-opted to whatever degree liturgy is a black metal band, like the, you know, the founding black metal is founded on, on murder and, murder and uh not just murder but like by hate crimes basically you know yeah. like and i'm obviously not the first person to make this argument but by having something like liturgy existing in that space it's also allowing that space to move forward to expand to you know i i hate the idea of of surrendering any particular genre or, or community to the bad yeah. You know, <laughs> it's well, like... I think it's, yeah, I think it's arguable whether liturgy exists in that space exactly, At you know, point, yeah. and because uh, because, you know, we didn't come from that space, like socially, you know, I right. you know, wasn't 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 part of a metal scene at all as a kid as you know, part of a kind of punk scene and your rock scene. But on, on a deeper level, uh, also, I've just always. And this is something that is kind of more and more I'm manifesting fully. It's been more of a dream or a vision than a reality until the past couple of years. But like, 
I'm very interested in, uh, you know, a, 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 having a practice that sort of synthesizes, uh, you know, music and art and religion and philosophy. That is very much influenced by, you know, I mean, Wagner coined the term uh, total work of art, Gesamtkunst work. But it's also, it also kind of is an instance of what a religion as such is, you know, like religions usually sort of have, you know, doctrines and musical traditions and visual traditions. So in a lot of ways, you know, it's not just that liturgy isn't aligned particularly with like the, you know, standard boilerplate idea of black metal. You know, that's true. And I think we do fit better in other scenes, kind of, but, but then, then again, there's, there's kind of a difficulty with fitting into any, any one scene, I think, for liturgy. Like, people don't really know what to make of us. Like, people who are, like, people who are outside of metal identify us as black metal still. You know, it's like, they're like, oh, this is, I don't listen to metal usually, but there's this one metal, you know, black right. metal band. like you know and i i happen to like this one black metal band it's liturgy you know and just like, yeah maybe we're not a black metal band more and more mentioned like using using genres and cultures and even like scenes as as materials you know and and um to kind of have have a creative process that isn't really inside of anything that that's just kind of like inter interfacing with different silos and institutions and ways of ways of life forms of life that sort of thing and i i want to dive into that and unpack it a lot but i want to ask first uh since we were talking about genre a little bit what was kind of your parallel trajectories or or intermingling you know between you know, indie rock punk classical all the different things that you've been inspired by that that now today as we're having this conversation feed into the overall entity on the musical side. What was your personal experience with that as far as like when you're starting to play music and you're looking to, you know, put things out there into the world and how, how did that all kind of coalesce into yeah. where it is? Yeah, I was, so I was very passionate about music from a very young age. Um, my mom actually played guitar not 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 super seriously but i so she she taught me like a beatles song or something like that yeah i loved mtv yeah as soon as yeah like marilyn manson and it, like like i was written to very very dark stuff very quickly and the smashing pumpkins who weren't that dark but and i sort of had to take piano lessons i think it was sort of like as a condition of getting to Play guitar i had to play piano too or something there was some kind of sense of like it's you know it's scary for this kid to get into rock music but maybe but, or i don't know anyway i i learned oh, piano. No, i've heard this before by the way literally just an interview i did a few days ago this exact same thing was like well and my parents wouldn't get me a guitar unless i took piano lessons so, yeah, i think it, yeah. it might be more common than you think Yeah, the the guitar was here. I I had to buy my own guitar, uh, and and I was like five. Like you know, so I I did like I did like lemonade stands in order to make the money to get a guitar, and uh, but the piano was fine. And then actually, when I got guitar lessons, they had to be classical guitar lessons. But but that teacher happened to be a hardcore metalhead, and that's actually how I I, I discovered uh, Sepultura very very yeah. young. because this like classical flamenco guitar teacher unbeknownst to my parents was like uh <laughs> sort of yeah uh, like grooming me into, into um extreme metal um that's that's how i just yeah i discovered like testament and like i guess i knew metallica from mtv because because of the black album but like i got into like older you know you know the classic metallica and um just like metal the head screaming and stuff like that Yeah, in kind of the high school era, I got more and more into classical music as a whole. Um, I really, I really enjoyed, like, the, like the post-romantic era in classical was my favorite. Really, really starting with Brahms, I see Brahms as kind of like the height of romanticism, and then figures like uh, Scriabin or Prokofiev as. Uh, kind of push, pushing romanticism into a kind of modernism without 
without being too unlistenable. But then I got into really avant-garde classical music as well. Um, and, I, and, you know, and minimalism. And then on the other end, I was more and more making friends who were kind of playing music, who were maybe friends with people who were in bands that I knew, like, you know, like I knew some people who were like acquainted with at the drive-in or whatever. And like, so that was kind of, I got more and more and starts to pull aware. you into interconnected community of subculture. Yeah, the, the 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 community of punk, and then and then kind of looking back and being like, oh yeah, like Sonic Youth were just these like, they were just these like kids hanging out in New York, like just like me, you know. And they were friends with Glenn Branca, and you know he was inspired by Steve Reich, and you know, but Steve Reich is a composer just like uh, Brahms was, you know, or, or or like you know like Terry Riley was this like hippie, but, or sorry, I meant Lamont Young was just a hippie, but he, you know, had, like first he was a serial, serialist composer or, or like he had like serial pieces or whatever. And uh, kind of, kind of getting that there was a kind of common fabric, I guess, between the, the classical music and rock music were on a continuum. And that also like music, the rock music, that these things weren't just like, out there like on tv and on the radio but that like like my friends were making it and that an earlier generation of people just like us were doing the earlier stuff you know and then in college uh i studied i studied composition very seriously you know i i uh i, I really i considered becoming i considered the goal of becoming an avant-garde composer um yeah, I was really into, uh, you know, like Morton Feldman and Zanakis and Ligeti and um, like really, uh, really abstract avant-garde classical music. And there was a professor there who, like I took a composition course with kind of like a, you know, a kind of star of sort of avant-garde classical music, but he didn't really respect what I was doing that much. And, but then at the same time, I was uh, traveling to Brooklyn a lot because I was kind of discovering the Brooklyn music scene. So I, I was, like, I went to school in the Bronx, but I, so kind of as a teen and then in college, I began more and more kind of existing in the Brooklyn music world. And that was very, more of a rock thing, but had openness to the avant-garde and, um, and then the black metal element really was just kind of a, I, I think there were other, I, I had a couple of friends who were kind of into black metal too. Like it was kind of, um, you could kind of hear the way that like black metal made sense to play in an indie rock context or something, but it was really a different scene. You know, it wasn't, I didn't know anyone from the black metal scene, but I, but I, but to me that felt like, because of the mysticism of it and the romantic musical language mm -hmm. uh, that that's kind of people don't always think consciously about how that's going on, how the, the guitars are kind of like a string orchestra or whatever. But it was like, oh, maybe like if, if Glenn Branca united classical and rock through minimalism, maybe I can unite classical and rock through black metal. And but it would be more connected to like romantic classical music. But but it not be like symphonic metal, you know that like, that's a right. whole different thing. Like right. metal with like with uh, string production, you know, this would be like kind of structurally structurally part of the classical tradition in terms of the compositions. Yeah, I tend to think of symphonic metal as more operatic. Symphonic metal seems kitsch to me. Yeah, like like doesn't and um, no 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 shade or whatever. But same. Um, yeah. It's not it it's not it's not part of the lineage of music that uh, raised me or something. Yeah. Yeah, I respect it, but um, it's missing a a rawness, a, an urgency, probably something more coming from the punk and indie background. Because you talked about a really important epiphany that I think those of us who have experienced the punk or hardcore scene have at some point, which is it makes the idea of creating music and performing music so much more accessible when you go and, and you realize like, oh, this isn't a, you know, concert with barricades and security staff and huge production and you know it's like oh this is 
these are people roughly my age standing five feet in front of me, uh, you know, playing on the same kind of gear uh, my friends have, you know, and it, it really kind of is an awakening to being able to participate more than just spectate. I think that that always kind of continues as a through line. And folks with that background, when we journey onward and, and end up creating in other spaces, even we kind of still have that DIY. I don't want to say, I don't want to make it sound like it's the DIY like elitism of like, you know, we're following a rule book, but just more that we have that, that drive of like, Oh, like I can, I can make things that are tangible, but still feel raw. And yeah. And there's, there's certain types of music that doesn't have that spirit in it for better or worse. Yeah. As this becomes what it is now, as you eloquently described as, you know, encapsulating all of these different things as a totality of, of art and presentation and worship and searching and meaning and, and all of this. And, and the, and the occasion for us talking is about this nine, three, six, nine, six in particular, talk to me about where the inspiration comes from and, and how it's organized you know, when you set about to create the next liturgy work, what are you drawing from in terms of what's going on with you inside and what you're reading, experiencing, looking at, and um, how does all, what's the process that that comes together when you, when you hit the moment where you're like, okay, I have something here that I'm close to wanting to actualize. Yeah. I mean, 93696, you know, what, what jumps out to me about it is how uh, how epic it is um some somehow it ended up being you know like it feels like an album for the end of the world or something and um i mean that technically is what it is um but yeah yeah it's i mean the process leading up to writing it kind of kind of trying to figure out where to begin you know i mean liturgy's career has been such a journey i feel like the past the you know the era between like say 2018 2017 2018 and now kind of all feels like this this uh like a blur like it's all like it's all connected i think there there was a time when i wasn't sure i was going to continue doing liturgy and I had started writing Origin of the Alimonies, uh, really conceiving of it as as an opera more than a rock album at all, and that having a video aspect. And then I ended up having so much fun uh, kind of you know working with people to bring it to life that I wanted to actually make make a regular liturgy after all, a liturgy album after all, and then kind of quickly wrote HAQQ by my standards, I mean, I, I, you know, I spend like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on these songs. They're, they're very, they're, they're very complex. And I also really rework them to the bone. It's funny because on every, on this album and the past couple albums, there, there's material that I wrote when I was like 16 or something. You know, I, I sort of have a reservoir of demos because I used to just spend you know, in, in my like really isolated phase that we were discussing uh, ch- childhood or whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, I would just like play music. I would just like improvise for hours and, and record it. And like, and it was all pretty good. Like I was, I was- uh, Pure at that time too. Just so pure in a way that it's hard to, hard to recapture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, very, very high batting average for, for good riffs <laughs> as, a, as a 16 year old. So- Origin and HQQ, the last two records before this one, we recorded during the same session at the same time. And I was I was eager to get back out on the road to to, to tour with HQQ, and then but then the pandemic happened, so we only did a handful of shows before having having that having that halted. And so so that brings me to the I guess the beginning of the answer to the question is that it was in twenty. 20 during the lockdowns that I thought I was going to be on tour for HAQQ, which had come out at the end of 2019. And instead, I couldn't leave my apartment. There, there was a lot of material that 
not like not just riffs from when I was 17, but also songs that were like a third done or something like that, that, that could have gone on to HAQQ, but, uh, but didn't, I, I kind of made a choice. I kind of made a choice to make that record shorter than it could have been actually just to kind of get something out. But I knew that there was going to be a longer record coming. So there was a lot of material that was already written before HAQQ even, but then during 2020, I and my bandmates were all very available, you know, because we, we couldn't do anything. And so we first would have band practice on Zoom. Uh, and then eventually we started, we were kind of like a COVID pod together or something. And we would uh, get together and rehearse uh, a couple times a week, actually. I think that contributed to the album being so meticulous and so long, but also compositionally, like I, I see it as the like if there's anything that this record does that no other liturgy record has done is that it is like a kind of genuine 50 50 50 synthesis between classical music and metal like or, like origin was the first record that i did a full score for and but but that it's kind of more it's closer to classical music than metal i feel like even though it uses metal instruments but this one i wanted it to be like as driving um, as like as rock oriented as earlier records, but also to really kind of evolve the way that like a Brahms symphony evolves. In that there's, you know, a lot of obviously there's the numerology in the title and there's this idea conceptually of, uh, you know, your interpretation of, of heaven or a type of afterlife and the different kind of uh realms within that that might exist i mean it's all really fascinating state i can't advocate enough for people listening to this to really dive in and experience and and chew on all of this stuff that's in there um in creating those maybe it's not even so much creating maybe it's channeling <laughs> maybe it's shaping communicating those ideas and i know spiritual experience is, is so difficult to describe or, or quantify, but what is your kind of experience with the great unknown or God or worship or communion in the process of, of making and recording a record like this and then performing it? I, I know that performing music can be transcendent even in its most base of forms, even if it's just someone like trying to, you know, be a little more extroverted and entertain an audience or whatever. There's, you know, there's still something spiritual and, and moving that's happening. And then certainly with something like this, where the intention is so clearly to transcend. I'm just curious what, yeah. again, I know it's, it's gotta be very difficult to describe, but I'm curious what that feeling is like for you when performing. And yeah. Making no, it's not, it's not really difficult to, to, to describe. I mean, yeah, the, you know, I mean, the band is called Liturgy. The point of their performances is to be a mass. You know, it's 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 meant to be. You know, Liturgy is a structured form of collective worship, and that's that 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 that's the intention. And uh, and when we play the music, it really, yeah, I, I I'm reading it as a holy experience, and it really does have that effect on me. Like I I feel very ecstatic every time that. We perform. I think I'm, and I'm kind of fortunate in that because I think because the music is so intense, it's really impossible to phone in a liturgy performance. You know, I think a lot. Of, I I have friends and bands who say, you know, oh, I just get so tired of doing these shows, and I'm pretending that I, you know, feel these feelings, but I'm actually sick of these songs and whatever. And like, it's kind of it's kind of not possible with 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 liturgy. Uh, yeah, that's that's wonderful. This is that's by design, right? Yeah, because yeah. you're not you're not necessarily singing about a heartbreak you had when you were 19 and trying to conjure those same feelings. Yeah, <laughs> just, just trying to yeah point out how wonderful God is, <laughs> which is just you know just seems truer and truer. And, and is uh, is pretty evergreen as civilization has taught us. <laughs> It's an evergreen idea. Evergreen idea. And and then as far as the composition process goes, I, yeah, I've always experienced that through a mystical 
uh, interpretive lens as well. Um, you know, it's always, because it is very, my, my experience of like art creating itself through me is very, very palpable. You know, it's like, you know, it's just this kind of form just kind of flows out and I'm, I mean, yeah, I very, I mean, I, mean, I, I pray a lot, you know, I, I have, I pray before I start writing music. Sometimes I, I use chant procedures to make decisions. Like I, I flip coins, I pull tarot cards, you know, all, all kinds of things in terms of like choosing one line over another or that kind of thing. And like, there's, you know, it's kind of like being a, I, I don't cook, but for some reason it feels to me like it's kind of like being a chef where mm -hmm. like, you there's all these kind of pots there's all these processes that are sort of unfolding the way that they're going to unfold and your job is to kind of just like make sure nothing is getting screwed up so much of it you know, there's a lot of agony and ecstasy in the process of writing um i was like oh i hate this and then like there's a breakthrough i was like oh no i love this it's perfect you know and then and like i i'll know when i have those breakthroughs that i don't really understand yet why it's so good but then like some decision will come later on but then kind of it's like oh yeah that's why that worked and, like it kind of feels like time is moving backwards when i'm when i'm when I'm writing music and so that that just feels i just interpret that as i'm working alongside god i love that i love that time is moving backwards and i, I often think about that idea of you know when michelangelo was sculpting david that he he saw David inside the block of marble and was just chiseling down to get there. I love that. Yeah, reverse engineering. Yeah, yeah. And this is uh, probably the most selfish question I have. So I also identify as a Christian. I often find myself, you know, I appreciate that you say that unapologetically and without air quotes because I often find myself needing to qualify that uh in certain conversations because there are there are so many connotations and baggage and and uh you never know what sort of landmine you're walking into with someone and carrying a designation like that but it, it also comes back to sort of what i was saying about black metal where it's something that's important enough to me that i don't want to abandon it to <laughs> certain forces and uh for me it's it's continued to be as i've as my own ideas evolve and everything and you know, being kind of raised with it and not identifying with it through my teens and twenties, really until my, my late twenties kind of coming back around, you know, for me, it boils down to believing. And this is, uh, you know, many things I'll say as a Christian will be uh, heretical to plenty of Christians, but uh, I'm, I'm so at one point I was really into the kind of Jeffersonian, you can take the miracles out of the gospels and they're still the gospels idea. And now I would even scale that all the way down to, you know, when people want to argue about whether or not, uh, you know, they want to prove that Christ wasn't even a historical figure in reality. I've taken it even to where it's like, okay, let's, let's suppose that that's true. Christ, the concept and the spiritual being exists irregardless of whether or not the flesh and blood person even existed so but that's kind of my take and where i'm at right now i'm not to try to project any of that onto you but my question is i guess how did you land on feeling confident in that identity and that interpretation that that's your practice that that's the and, and of course it encapsulates so much belief and experience but why is that label the right label for you right now yeah i mean i um i feel like there's different dimensions to the answer i agree uh in part with what you're saying um i mean i feel like that's aligned in some ways with like the 12-step approach to christianity or some like, i feel like 12-step is a form of christianity in some ways you know and like and there's been this tendency within christianity to, to become less and less theological you know that's sort of what Protestantism is in relation to Catholicism, and uh, so th there's a kind of like secular, secular Christianity or something that really gets at I think what is most important, you know, which is that kind of experience of tr like transcending 
uh, selfish, fearful, and resentful attitudes, you know, and, and being, being, being able to kind of awaken to a sense of loving connection uh, with others and then, and then create, create harmony and be sensitive to the kind of collective creative impulses that they want to unfold. And you, you know, that's in the, in the immediate, in the immediate, I think that's what's most important. And I think that's what anyone should I think anybody should agree with that I, I, I don't know you know and but you almost don't even need to call that Christianity so then like on the other end like I could say I could kind of take the exact opposite view as well you know because like I love I mean I love theology you know I study theology like I I, I write I I, I'm, I have developed a system of, of, of theology you know uh uh with uh you know, a, a reading of what the Holy Trinity is and, um, you know, an account of, you know, the fall and who Christ is and redemption. And and, uh, and I'm very interested in church history. You know, I'm, I'm more and more oriented towards uh, Orthodox Christianity, actually, uh, the, the sort of Eastern Orthodox tradition, partly because the worship style is is so musical. It's, it's, it's just more musical. And so, I mean, I would, you know, it kind of sounds like a provocation in a way, but I, the thought that Jesus, I mean, first of all, I think that Jesus, like you can't really argue Jesus wasn't a historical person. I think he was. You I, know, I, um, I, I just, I've had it, I've had it done to me. <laughs> but that even beyond that, like, I, I mean, I believe that, that he died and was resurrected in more or less the way the Bible says. And, and I, I think that what is, what is really kind of empowering in that belief is that like, it could be true, <laughs> you know, like there, there, there's actually nothing that prevents it from being true that like in, you know, in a series of a couple of weeks, just like, you know, the current couple of weeks that we're in or something like that, like this, this event took place, like there's actually nothing more mysterious about that than the scientific revolution, you know, like the, like 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 newton's discovery of like the law of gravity is it's like e e easily as insane that that happened uh as the idea that like you know jesus was resurrected of our sins like it's um like we and i, cause I think like modern people we kind of understand that we don't really get anything but 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 also not like like we're, we're sort of inclined to think that like to, to label as like rational like a very kind of diminished like perception of like, what's possible but like miraculous i think miraculous things happen and you know and i you know i can scare quote that i guess you know and be like well and you know if it's not true it still works for me you know but like but i don't but i don't like commit to scare quoting it like i kind of think that maybe it's just true and my experience of Christ is a very personal one. You know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I pray the rosary and I feel connected to Mary and I, uh, you know, pray to Jesus and to God. And I, you know, it feels like they're like family members or something, you know, like you, you can sort of cultivate a sense of spiritual alterity. You know, it's, it's a little bit similar to communing with, you know, artists from the past or something like that. You know, you can, you can build up a relationship to like personalities within you. And, um, and, and so for me, those, those, some of those personalities, the, the most important ones, I guess, you know, are uh, Jesus and God and Mary. And, and I've had some, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there have been people who have entered my life who were guardian angels, you know, mm -hmm. like there's very, very mystical things happen, you know, maybe, maybe not everyone Maybe I just experienced them more than a lot of people. It's like, or, and I don't know. It's, it seems obvious to me that there is a spiritual and mystical stratum of, of, of reality. And I, I can't really prove it to someone who doesn't experience those things. But, but to me, it's not really controversial. Yeah, well said. Uh, that's inspiring to me. And, and it, yeah, and I often think of how radio waves were there, you know, germs were there all, all of the all of these things were always present whether or not they were perceived by people so the idea that there isn't innumerable things that are also ever present that we're not able to count and measure with our means now you know the fact that that someone 
living in you know prehistoric Alaska couldn't conceive of Australia doesn't change the fact that Australia was there <laughs> you know just yeah, exactly. they didn't have an awareness of of how to measure it you know and even right now we're you know I'm I'm, I'm taking it on faith that you're talking to me from a tangible place that I've heard of and can be experienced but uh, I don't have any immediate real evidence in front of me that <laughs> that's the case so yeah it is it's so important to remember that and and I've found that and this is some advice that I got at some point I wish I could remember from whom but some of those really personal experiences almost diminish as you kind of mythologize the stories to yourself so I have those those handful of moments I can point to in in my life personally and in, in moments of doubt where I can go that was a pretty real mystical experience or a real moment of of even answered prayer the more it's like the more we hide those things away we're doing a disservice to god perhaps but on the other hand the more that we try to count and measure and quantify those experiences the more they're picked apart and so yeah so it's it's uh i guess that continues to be a bit of a struggle between the the mystics and the scare quotes rational uh, but yeah, I like to think um, that those things ultimately support one another. It just takes a leap of faith on both sides to, for mystics and believers to be open to being presented with new evidence and changed by it, and for rational folks to be open to a world of experience that they don't understand or haven't seen. Yeah, and and I think a a, a point I. <laughs> One talking point that I think I, I have, I know you don't like talking points, but it really, <laughs> you, you definitely uh, haven't presented me a platform of, I mean, it's your platform. So, <laughs> you know, it, 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 is it that, that, um, that polarity you just mentioned is, doesn't need to map on to the right wing, left wing polarity, oh, you know, sure. that like, that like if you have a more mystical or even dogmatic relationship to christianity you know even if you're not even if you're a christian who like you know thinks that the theology of the early ecumenical councils is true and real and that the dead are raised and you know whatever all that sort of stuff like there's this sense that like oh if that 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 then goes along with socially conservative politics and that sort of you know atheist rationalism goes along with uh, progressive social politics and and there's there's no there's like that that connection i guess is a sociological mm. phenomenon mm. but 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 it's not ne it's not a necessary one um and and i think that like on, on the contrary that like you know so much of like social progressive politics really you know it doesn't it doesn't actually have a rational basis it it, it has a religious basis um, you know, you this, this isn't stuff you can prove, and I think it's it's a real disservice to people on the left to not take religion seriously because that 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 vector of, of civilization's history is it's it's like a it's 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 humanity's like religious it's like a spiritual fulfillment or something. A motivating catalyst for change from Martin Luther King and Malcolm X to you know, there's any number of. Uh progressive heroes in a sense that were motivated by the faith tradition and belief yeah, in the unseen yeah. and these ideas of justice and fairness that are like you said religious for every time that i hear some christians say that softening so to speak uh socially conservative politics is bending towards culture i i often argue in turn that those socially conservative politics are often themselves products of culture, you know, and weren't ideas that were present in the early churches and that, you know, certain yeah. things that they hold so sacrosanct. It's like, well, if this and this were such important issues that were going to change civilization, why did Jesus never address them once in the gospels? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that, I mean, this is kind of a, broad brushstroke glib thing to say but i mean i think that most with christianity anyway uh i think most 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 christianity is kind of fake 
like it's it's um it, it's i mean it, like deleuze and guattari have a critique of religion as such and they they, they kind of go too far with it but like that that a lot of a lot of what contemporary conservative religious people are doing is they're just being afraid of the future you know and then and then sort of identifying religion as something from the past that they're kind of clinging to but the point is clinging to the past it's not it's not the religion itself yeah and and yeah i mean most most of the like bigoted principles that people associate with christianity are not part of early christianity and but but i mean that said within i think the conservative sphere a lot of the there is authentic religion there too it's not like a, it, it it's um it's too much of a caricature to put it the, the way that i just put it i agree for sure and I, and i and i have enough real life relationships <laughs> with folks who fall into all of these different categories that we're talking about that are genuine and authentic believers and people and and on, on all sides of the political spectrum the religious spectrum I appreciate all of the all of the multiple references to different philosophers and theologians and of course uh, people exploring your work and the stuff that you're doing is is very profound important it's moving can't tell you enough how much I appreciate that liturgy exists in the world and it's making the art that that's coming out. Well, thanks for saying that. And uh, yeah, thanks for, this is a fun conversation. Yeah. And uh, hopefully uh, the first, the first of uh, more to come, because I would, I could have you back and <laughs> I feel, I feel like we, I feel like we went very deep and yet only scratched the surface, which is uh, what's so exciting about um, what you're all about and what you're putting out there. So. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not always that conversations get to be like this. So I, I, I appreciate you creating this, this uh, contact.